She was the pirate queen of Ireland. She led a fleet of rambunctious men who pillaged all who came in their way. She even sailed up the Thames to meet Queen Elizabeth. This is the story of Grainne Whale, or as you might know her, Grace O'Malley. Hey folks, welcome to episode two of the Out of Ireland podcast. This episode is going to be very interesting, and I'm Oshin, and I'll be joined by my two friends, Dara and Connor. How are you two doing this week? Yeah, not bad. Not bad, reading up on a little bit about Grace and how far out of Ireland she got. Oh yeah, this one's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Dara wasn't too happy. No, I was not happy. I just feel like episode two should have been someone that actually left Ireland, but you know. She did leave Ireland. She did. <laughs> she was always out of Ireland. <laughs> yeah, she, she lived on an months. island out of Ireland. Yeah. Very basically in Ireland, though. But like again, this one's a liberty because it's a really fun story. So we kind of said we'd just feck it and go for it. So what do you guys know about Grania Well? So I knew stories about Grania Well from growing up, but I thought she was like Captain Hook, like a mythical kind of person. Yeah, yeah I always thought it was more folklore than actual history. It was a, a fictional character rather than an actual real woman that sailed across the west coast of Ireland fighting and yeah you just, just being you a just rebel thought, um, you just thought she was a whale called Gráinne didn't you <laughs> bad joke <laughs> <laughs> um, she is weird how she like straddles that line of myth and reality she's very like um, Brian Baru in that sense like how much we know about him like we know that she existed like we have letters and like court documents that like name her mm-hmm she also got very shunted because she was kind of written out of Irish history, um, which we'll get into later. But uh, she was a very, very epic and very interesting woman. But the Irish historians at the time chose to kind of ignore her and put her under the carpet. So um, we've done, a, we've all done a fair bit of deep digging. There's a, an abundance of stuff online. Um, a little bit of it is very glorified. So she kind of rode in on a white horse against the British Empire and all that sort of stuff. But... Um, we're going to try and base this on as close to reality as possible and the parts that are probably true and the parts that are probably embellished. So that's kind of it. So Statman Dara Heard, what time period are we talking for this episode? Uh, we're looking at the 1500s, which was a completely different country uh, that you could imagine today. Grania was rumored to be born in 1530. We don't have any definite date on that. Um, but she was born into a, a wealthy enough family, a trade family who ruled the seas on the west coast of Ireland. There, there was a source I was reading that said she, she's from the O'Malley clan. She was Grace O'Malley or Grania Whale. Or, you know, anyway, lots of names, like you said. But the source I said, uh, the source that I was reading said they'd been ruling for thousands of years. That can't be correct, can it? The O'Malley clan had been ruling the seas for thousands of years? No. I doubt thousands. I mean... That sounds like someone in the O'Malley family was allowed to write the history. How long have you been here? Oh, thousands of years. Yeah, yeah, thousands. Yeah. Since it began. So, yeah, the, like Dara said, the time period is 1500s Ireland. Um, the Normans had just arrived 300 years ago, and they were kind of starting their slow conquest of the country. So, though, for the most part around this time, they'd left the Irish chieftains to their own devices. Ireland was split into loads of different kind of, uh, would you say kingdoms, guys, or like chief chiefdoms, fiefdoms? Yeah, they're kind of chiefdoms. It was all like... Um... Like Ireland as a coherent thing wasn't didn't really exist. Like there was kind of nothing for Ireland. There was huge clans and that that kind of ruled different areas. Yeah, there was there was high kings and like I said, or like Dara said, the Grace was part of the O'Malley clan, which were a big and well established clan. Um, at the time, King Henry the Sixth was 
he had the title Lord of Ireland. So again, he they claimed all of Ireland, but for the most part at this stage, they'd left it to their own devices. But during Grania's life, um, she'd actually witness their gradual movement into Ireland in what became known as the Tudor invasion of Ireland. You kind of wonder if they saw it coming. You wonder, did they, could they foresee what was coming down the road that the English were slowly picking them apart? Or was it something that they were blind to, that they were just too close to it? I just like the idea of like the English seeing Ireland as like a back garden when you rent a house and you have a back garden and it's like yours but you don't really look after it and stuff grows there and you're not really in charge of what's happening. That's kind of how they treated Ireland, right? Yeah. And then in later years, they got a bit concerned because I think they were, the Spanish were waging war on them. So they, they were afraid the Spanish would start to use Ireland as a stepping stone into England. So that's why they kind of said during Grania's life, they started really cracking down and kind of trying to take over the country. It was also for the wood though, that was, so Ireland was covered in good, oak trees or solid wood so it'd be good for building ships so i thought that was another reason why they were yeah that's one of the for it as well that's one of the like the expressions the british navy sailed on irish forests never heard that before i thought the expression was going to be we have good wood <laughs> <laughs> on all their british ships yeah <laughs> uh anyway moving swiftly along uh let's get to the meat let's get to the meat of the uh meat subject. of the wood so again, we're going to refer to her as Grania for this entire episode, but um, the colloquial term for her is Grace O'Malley. Colloquial. Irish... That's one of Oshin's lovely pronunciations that he does. Colloquial. Oshin <laughs> reads a lot and doesn't speak to many people, so he. Uh... <laughs> I read in my inside. Yeah, I read in my. In- I I used to always thought it was like linguini, uh, for lingerie. I was totally wrong. Like, <laughs> I used to always think it was. Like, I was like, it is. What are you yeah, talking you're about? You're wearing pasta and just boxers, are you? No, I was very confused. It's very confused individual. <laughs> You're going to an Italian restaurant and they're asking you to go some <laughs> Give me the <laughs> Excuse me, I speak Italian. I know what I'm saying. But anyway, so Grania was born in Mayo on the west coast of Ireland. Um, and her father, of course, was Own Dove Dara O'Malley. That's a lot of names. I don't understand the middle part. It's Own Dove is Irish for black. So it's Own Black Dara O'Malley. So I'm assuming the Dara must mean something, or maybe it's a name. Yeah, they still do that out west a lot. Uh, so it's usually like um, the like father or grandfather. So it's like if someone's name is Sean or whatever, and their dad's name is Porrick, they'll say, oh, that's Sean Porrick. Do you know what I mean? Just so you know yeah, who yeah, they are. Sense. This is nothing to do with anything, but you know the Vikings used to, um, your name would be what you did. So or what you did or what you are. So you'd have like Harold, like Shockhead, because his hair was always mad. Or then there was like, uh, there was even one guy who was something, the flatulent. So like, they literally just get names based on a very massive character of what they were, which it was kind of similar here, mm. but we will get into it later. Well, that's like that uh, Swedish, well, he was a Viking king, I think. And he was had like a rotten tooth and they called him Bluetooth. And his like logo, the, the, his symbol that he used is the Bluetooth symbol that we use now. Because... No, you don't know the because. The because is the best part because Bluetooth unites all devices in the way this king united the Norse kingdoms. Oh, that is good. Yeah, good it's link. Bulakasha. Mm. <laughs> right. So, Gronuel. <laughs> <laughs> we digress. Yeah. She was she was essentially born a noble woman to a family that kind of plundered to kind of like a pirate family, but they um. They were known for being fairly successful and fairly wealthy in what they did, which is they had a small fleet that would 
uh, stop ships and take like a what would you, what would you call it, like a payment? A tax, I guess. Yeah, a tax for safe passage through their waters. It was early mafia. It was protection money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Grania growing up, she was like, I want to do this. I want to get on this ship and I want to be a pirate. And her parents were like, well, look, we're sorry, but you're a lady and we're going to have to, we need you to marry into a family. We need to build our family and extend our family. So at the age of 15, she was married. Um, but sorry, it's also important to note that she also had brothers. So they would have been seen as the heir of this trading company or this or early mafia company. <laughs> <laughs> They're just what, what's Tony waste Sprang? management. Just a, they're just waste, waste management. <laughs> yeah. The waste being the British Empire. I know. <laughs> they were also the sons were also letdowns to like Tony's son. You know. Oh yeah, he exactly. He didn't want to take over. So yeah, her family actually made their living in a number of different ways. The O'Malley family, they traded raw materials in exchange for luxury goods. They ferried Scottish mercenaries, so they got them through the very. The water in Clue Bay, which is where they lived, was very notorious for being very difficult to navigate because of all the sandbars. So these this family had the best knowledge of it. So they would, for, for money, they'd get these ships through the bay. They fished, they plundered, and then they also engaged in what I, what I found online was opportunistic piracy, which I'm sure we've all done in our youth. They're kind of like the Greyjoys in Game of Thrones. Like the, the we do not sow, like they're like, yeah, we're just going to steal stuff from everyone else. Have either of you ever actually been to Clue Bay? I'm sure you have. It's Westport and Ackle and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it is absolutely gorgeous. That view from Crow Patrick out to Clue Bay to like the, what, fucking 300 islands? That's probably the best view in well, Ireland that, I've ever seen. I'm a, I'd imagine those are the islands that they were navigating as well, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, it was like it literally was quite okay, treacherous. Yeah. Uh, so, so she knew it like the back of her hand. Grania, when she was older, she'd just sit and stare. She became renowned for predicting the patterns of weather. So, and like that was something she was famous for. Clouds? No, it's probably deeper than that, like the sea patterns. It's deeper than the clouds, water. <laughs> God, I'm really bad at trying to be funny. Um, so at the age of 15, she married Donal O'Flaherty. Yeah, so before we move on, we might want to look into how she got into piracy and found her love for the sea. Um, so there's no, obviously, set account on this, nothing in concrete. Uh, there's a few different stories of how she how this came about but the main one that that i came across was her dad was traveling to spain on a trade route and she wanted to join join him on that her her parents both disagreed they said that you're a girl and we want you're not a sailor your brothers are going to look after that um one of the accounts said that her father told her that you can't come on you've got you've got long hair that's going to get caught in the ropes so she went off shaved her hair disguised herself as a boy and just got in the ship and went along and just pretended that she was just part of it and it wasn't until later on until her father actually found in found out that she was she was actually on board yeah that's the story i remember from when i was younger the one of her getting her hair caught in the ropes so she shaved it off and i heard that's why she was called grony whale which is like bald grony or because my sister is called grony so i used to call her bald grony and she didn't like that is she bald no 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 why'd you call her bald uh just to mess yeah, with. just because I was nah, seven. <laughs> but there was there was actually a little bit more to like her. Like, okay, so she was a noble woman in the eyes of her father and all this sort of stuff. But there was actually a lot of like superstition among pirates at the time. And one of the biggest superstitions was that a woman cannot be on a boat. And I was trying to figure out like, why, why would that be? And then they ended up saying, well, like one of them was like, well, can you imagine like 50 men and one woman? It just leads to kind of complicated stuff. Not safe. 
environment for the woman or whatever. But the, it even goes goes deeper than that. Um, they actually believed the women were unlucky because the women would anger the sea gods. And there was like a story from the Middle Ages about a ship that got stuck in a storm that was full of men and women. So the men started throwing all of the women overboard to try and like kind of calm the sea gods. Uh, but that didn't work. And then the men all died as well after <laughs> ch- chucking their wives off. So, a bit bizarre. <laughs> You wonder which came first. It's kind of a chicken and egg. It's like, are the women bad luck and that's why they're not coming on board? Or do they just say they're bad luck so they don't let them on board? Yeah, you know? who knows? Mm. Who knows? But then there was a contradiction to this bad luck that said having a bare-chested woman on board, it calmed the seas and because it essentially shamed nature into suppressing her anger. This sounds really strange, but I found this source a couple well, of times. Did, so did she like have to have a tattoo? Like what? have a little bear on her chest? we'll have to leave some of these we'll have to leave some of these in eventually Uh, but that so actually actually that's why you'd see at the stern of a ship um i don't know if you guys think of movies but there would be like a bare-chested woman i I feel like that is something i've seen before yeah yeah like it's i I always think like a mermaid or something isn't it or i i thought they were like sea nymphs or, or kind of mermaid kind of things yeah no, well, apparently it was for navigation and for to calm the sea gods, to have a bare-chested woman at the front of a ship. Just while you're talking about women on ships, like maybe the most successful pirate ever was a woman. Did you did you come across uh, Ching Shi? Nope. No? So no. Chinese. She was like, uh, allegedly she was a prostitute on like a floating brothel, basically. And she met some pirate captain and he fell in love with her. And he took her onto the ship. She married him. He died, and then she took over the ship and made it way better. And she had like as a brothel or as a pirate as ship? a maybe or both. Uh, probably it was mostly as a pirate ship. Uh, and in the end, she had such a huge army. She had a bigger army than uh, a bigger pirate army than any navy in the world ever had. So it was like upwards of thirty thousand people. Is there any Irish bone in her body? Can we? No, we can't. We're not claiming her. Um, Back. She did have the the equivalent of like a Good Friday Agreement where they all. Uh, got amnesty uh, at the end and they all kind of went off and did their own things. Wow. So she was never defeated. Did you see... So Granny's obviously from Mayo. Did you see now Mayo are claiming Joe Biden? So we can claim someone, I'm sure. that We could definitely claim her. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? We can find we can Claim everyone, name. yeah. <laughs> just before we move on, I did look up more sea superstitions because uh, I just thought it'd be kind of interesting. So yeah, pirates didn't believe in... Well, they believed that if you started a voyage on a Friday, that means doom. So don't start a sea voyage on a Friday. Do not whistle on a boat because that will cause a storm to appear. Um, bananas on board a ship is bad luck, uh, but so is scurvy. So I don't know. How they, <laughs> and bananas two. were like the first things to be transported as well. It's kind of ironic. Bad luck. <laughs> and then the last one is saying goodbye or saying drowned on a boat is a complete no-no. So a bit like Hamlet or something. I don't know. You I just was just thinking it. that. Yeah, it's very like all every all actors, if they're doing Hamlet, they all call, call it the Scottish play. Yeah. So I must. I wonder what they'd say instead of. I bet there's a really cool. They must say something cool instead of goodbye. Then. Arr. Do you know any origins for any of these? Like the like the banana one. Like I can understand whistling if you're on a boat with a lad for four months and he's whistling every day. You'd be like, "Here, lad, shut up. You're gonna cause a storm." As in, we're gonna beat the <laughs> snot out of you. No, no, I don't know. I just that was a very cursory segue from the main meat of the story. So, do you know why pirates wore eye patches? Uh, iPods hadn't been invented. <laughs> oh my god uh, no why why do the pirates I feel like that's a setup for Something a joke do it night is it 
So no, no, this isn't a setup for a joke. It's um. So when they went below deck, if you're on a really bright day and you're going below deck, it's pitch black. So the constant black eye was to normalize your vision from go, swapping between below deck and above deck. Oh, that's that very cool? cool. That's yeah. I don't know. I, I saw with the peg leg that a lot of it was uh, not injury based but infection based. So if you got a cut or something, they didn't have great medicine, so they'd have get an infection in your leg. And back then it was like, oh no, there's something wrong with your leg. Just cut it off. Yeah. Peg. So the doctors would like, yeah, you know those pictures of medieval doctors like just sawing off legs. Okay, we have to go back to Grania. Well. <laughs> So, Grania married Donal. We talked about Donal a long time ago. Donal liked fighting. He was a war-hungry guy who apparently lacked the smarts, is what I read, I heard. I've no idea. There's no sources to back that up. But either way, he died very, very quickly. So, she was left a widow at 23 with three children, Owen, Maeve, and Mura. So, Owen was very kind and forgiving. Maeve took after Grania, and Mura was a prick. Um, but we'll get back to him. We'll get back to that. He... he it, bec- it all becomes revealed later on in the story, folks. Yeah. So by as Grace was in her early 20s, she was always going out with her father and she was raiding and she was, uh, I don't want to say pillaging, but she was definitely raiding and being a, being a general pirate, I guess. And Nuisance. Yeah, a, a nuisance. And But at the same time, <laughs> she was tough, she was ferocious, and she was earning the trust of her father's men. So when her father died when Grania was in her late 20s, instead of it going to his eldest son which it should have gone, the, you know, what, the leadership of the kingdom? How do you phrase this? Leadership of, yeah, yeah, leadership of the clan. It went to Grania and the men underneath her. (laughs) (laughs) Phrasing. (laughs) 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 The hundreds of men underneath her. But the men who were loyal to her father, they actually stayed loyal to her and they chose to accept her as their, um, you kind of want to say queen, but it's not quite queen in this context. So, in this sense, she became probably one of the only women in Ireland at the time that was in command of maybe scores, maybe hundreds of men. It's actually interesting in not just Grace O'Malley's case, but in like all kind of pirate cases, they were weirdly diplomatic. Like you didn't just kind of like, you know, the way in movies now they have it as like one leader of the ship and he holds on to control. He was usually like elected by like they all took a vote each person on the vo- on the boat took a vote on who was going to be the captain most of my knowledge of pirates is from pirates of the caribbean yeah that's actually uh, or that... hook obviously as well as yeah. Yeah. Oh, hook. Oh, yeah, yeah. come on uh, yeah the guy from pirates of the caribbean what's his name jack sparrow he is based on calico jack who is related to Anne bonnie who not related to we got intertwined with Anne bonnie who we talked about before but come up against him again I think we'll have to do an episode on that. I think we, we all seem to really like that. Yeah, she's really cool. Um, but yeah, no, pirates were so strange in, in how progressive they were. So like they would split the booty like evenly. They would all decide on what they were going to like attack next and what their next plan was. It's really interesting. So like that's how a woman got to be at the top in a very patriarchal kind of society at the time. So I guess no wonder they'd want to be... Uh... Like I'd say, it sounds like you were making a fair, you were making a decent living working as a pirate. So no wonder they wanted to get in and do it with the best or with people who are well-established at it, like the O'Malley clan. So after, um, after her father died and Grace took the reins, I guess, of the, the clan, she began building up um, the force and expanding her fleet. They were kind of very interesting the way they fought, which I thought was really cool because they had an expert knowledge of Clue Bay, which was the bay just above the city of Galway or the 
area of Galway. And Galway was where the British had a, quite a large city. So they, they would have had the need to pass through this bay a lot. And like we said earlier, the tides were coming up and coming down erratically. There were sandbars everywhere and it was quite difficult to navigate large ships. So uh, Gráinne and her crew, they did have some large galleys, but where, they're, where they excelled at fighting was they had a much smaller fleet of ships. They were a little bit like fishing boats that would attack a ship from all directions and swarm the ship and take it over. And then the, the tool that they would use to fight at the time was two very short, very light swords so that you could run, get onto the boat, and you could fight in kind of close quarters, like on a castle or on a boat. And, you know, you could, with two swords, you can protect yourself as well, a little bit like a shield. But um, so imagine this, like, fiery, red-haired woman, you know, climbing onto a feckin' ship and running at some guy with two swords. It's a pretty cool image. There's no, it's no wonder she was so um, mythologicalized. Not a word. Is it a word? Sure. Um, yeah, and that's one of the things that was like, like she was held up as doing really well. Like she led really well. Like she was fearless. Like she seemed to just be an absolute mental case. Like, I also love the way that we've now decided that she's a redhead. Just... Oh yeah, I just added that in. I, yeah, that's yeah. Um, that's <laughs> and that's Anne Bonnie again. She was... I can't say sexist. What's if your hairstyle against a particular hairstyle? Nah, gingivitis. Um, that's no that, that was Anne Bonny she was described as being red haired and fiery I'm just being stereotypical Irish now at this stage mm. another story that attests to her being a fearless and strong woman would be uh, and this one's definitely lore but they were at sea and a battle broke out between a different set of pirates her men were losing that battle two days after giving birth she said enough of this got out of her bed went up to the top and took lead and eventually they won the battle with her help. I've also seen like uh, accounts of that where it was like she had just given birth and like <laughs> she like gave birth quicker so she could like get the baby out and like go up and lead her men. It was like immediate. The head was hanging out and she was running around. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> not making the cut. Not put that on the cut. That is a disgusting image in my head right now. Um, Next to her hands. Let's give him a wee sword. Oh, God. <laughs> This is something, though, that comes up that uh, when there is a woman that's in charge, they seem to have to be the, the strongest and most fearless and most dangerous. Uh, you know, the, the, there's no there's a, it's extremes. That's all it is, you know? Yeah. But yeah, she met her second husband or second lover uh, while pillaging, didn't she? Kind of. Uh, the story I read was they heard of a shipwreck um, and she set sail out to find it. I think it might be around the coast, but either way, they went to find a wrecked ship and all they found was a man who was severely injured. And he, uh, in my in my brain, he was hanging onto a plank of wood, but I'm sure it's a lot less romantic than that. It's a Titanic um, you're thinking of right there, no? Yeah, I'm literally thinking of Titanic right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she sails by the iceberg and picks up. So she picks up this man who was a nobleman by the name of Hugh de Lacey and they hit it off. Oh, well, I don't know. She brought him back to her castle. She nursed him back to health and they became lovers. So not marriage, not any of that sort of stuff, but they became lovers and they were deeply involved with each other until poor old Hugh de Lacey was ambushed and killed by a rival clan who were trying to get to Grania. Yeah, that was by the McMahons who would have been like a local kind of clan. And they were like, yeah, it was basically we'll take something you love and yeah. destroy it, which I just feel like it's a bad idea with her. Like for all the stories, yeah, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't want to do it to anger. Like, so then she went kind of Genghis Khan in their ass, and she uh, she stormed their castle and she killed the people who murdered her lover, and then she she went home 
But then a while later, something, I don't know what else happened, but she decided she wanted the castle. So she went back, she raided, and they took over that castle, which was called Duna Castle. And then she was, she got a new name. She was known as the Dark Lady of Duna, which is a great name for a band. Yep. I think we're going to come across that a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm just always thinking of band names, guys. <laughs> Who needs musical talent when you have a good band name? Yep. So yeah, Grace is kind of at the height of her power now. So this is her in her early 30s or so. Um, so that like after she had the raid of Duna Castle uh, and kind of all her pillaging at sea, she was getting a name for herself around Ireland, but also traveling over to like England. So the Queen of England was aware that she existed. She was kind of causing trouble for a lot of people. Um, and especially since Queen Elizabeth, this is Queen Elizabeth I, she would have seen the ocean as all belonging to her, like as part of her realm. Uh, so having this rogue pirate on it was kind of an attack on her personally. And kind of on that, Grania realized that like, to be honest, against the might of the British, she was still a very small fish in a very big pond. So she decided to marry again, um, I guess marry for a second time, to hopefully kind of strengthen her family and strengthen her assets so that she has a better fighting chance, I guess, against the British. Yeah, the English had a divide and conquer policy at this time, so they were just slowly taking over Ireland rather than going in and taking massive parts. It was more of a, let's let the Irish fight amongst themselves and then come in and sweep up. So in that sense, Grania had the kind of foresight to realise, let's stop fighting amongst ourselves and try and figure out kind of a... Uh, there's a there's a bigger there's a, there's a bigger enemy out there. So she married Iron Richard of the Burke clan, and he was called Iron because I think there was iron near his house. Iron mines. It was a very simple one. He didn't do anything weird to to get the name. He didn't have a big thick head or anything. <laughs> so, so you see him with a big head. You go, oh, oh yeah, look at that iron. iron. <laughs> I, I meant like strong head like he got hit in the no head he's like it's, got, it's flat it. on the chin and it goes to a point he's got loads of holes and steam come out of them yeah he's iron the iron head <laughs> I, I, she didn't well she didn't marry one in the sense of modern day marriage no because at the time Ireland was still under the Breton laws which back then gave women an awful lot of power and say so obviously today if you get married with someone it's till death um, but Back then, the Breton Laws said you could divorce someone legally one year to the day of getting married to them. So it gave you a bit of leeway, got you in the door. You could see what they're like. And if you don't like them, you just say goodbye a year later. Yeah, like a test drive. Bye. Like a test drive. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. She also really, really wanted his castle. He owned this castle called Rockfleet Castle that um, it was, what was, oh yeah. So you couldn't access it by sea when the tide was out. So it meant that there was a very small chance of a surprise attack. So it was in that sense, it was very safe. And so after one year, she famously said these words to him, I release you. And she released him from the contract of marriage and kicked him out of his castle. So <laughs> and, and kept the castle like, for herself. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, she kept the castle. Yeah, she she enjoyed she enjoyed the heck out of that castle. That being said, some of the readings that I, I found said that they remained allies for, for the rest of his life as well. Anyway, his short life. Doesn't sound like that was his choice though, does it? <laughs> Um, no, she released him and booted him out of her home yeah. or his home. Breton laws. It's interesting that she was able to do that though, because Breton laws were interesting. That like, I think a lot of people have misconceptions about them. That a lot of the time people say, "Oh yeah, women could divorce a man if X, Y, and Z," but it was still 
it, it's kind of held up as this kind of feminist thing, but it was actually still very, very patriarchal just to give her even more credence to how strong and uh, like independent she was. You would normally, if you wanted to leave the marriage, you could, but you would have to go back to your father or an older brother. That was the kind of, there was nearly always a oh, man that had to be in charge. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, like it, it, for her to do that, like it sounds mad now, but even like back then it was even just a wilder thing. Like we're saying, yeah, she came out and he kept, she kept the castle. Like that's insane back then. So even with the combined forces of the O'Malley's and the Burks, they, they were still no match against the British. This is the point in the story where we're going to bring in the main antagonist, who's a man by the name of Bingham. So the Queen was growing concerned by the fact that these clans were joining together and their power was increasing. So she dispatched a man by the name of Bingham to Connacht, which is the province on the west coast of Ireland. And his job was to whip up, get rid of any of these pirates and whip the area into shape. And Bingham was a man who took no shit and he ended up being a thorn in Grania's side till, well, till damn near the day she died. Yeah, he was like a an early Cromwell, almost. Like, he was kind of... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But she kind of, like, she, she got him back really well. <laughs> like, it's real good. So Bingham targeted a lot of the lords of the area, but in particular, he wanted Grania Whale gone. He sent 500 soldiers to find Grania's first son, Owen. They found Owen on an island with 20 of his men, and they killed 20 of the men first, and then they violently tortured and killed Owen, which deeply, deeply upset Grania. I mean, it would. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the nicest thing. Like, you know, all the men in her life are getting violent, meeting violent ends, unfortunately. The problem was when Grania would try and stage an attack against these men, they were outnumbered by 25 to 1. So it was around this time they decided to adopt these, you know, kind of things that we use, that the Irish use in their War of Independence, which is guerrilla war tactics, where they would come out of the forest, attack, kill a bunch of men, and they disappear into the forest again. So it's how they kind of tried to fight back against Bingham. And it continued, it really frustrated him, even though he was so much more powerful and he had so much more men, he was still losing men to Gronuel. The reason I called her third son, Murrah, a prick earlier on, is that it's around now that becomes apparent because he decided to align himself with Bingham. I don't know why. I don't know, was he coerced into it? I don't know, was he being greedy? But he decided to betray his mother. And I'm not too sure what he did. I don't know, was it giving away information or was it trying to lure her out of her castle? But either way, once she found out, she was absolutely enraged. You wonder if it was a bit that they were having to, they had to tighten their pockets a bit or tighten the purses because they were probably losing a lot of money fighting these battles against Bingham. Yeah, and also like he was the third son, so realistically he wasn't ever going to be in charge. Like he wasn't going to take over the, the yeah, charge. So. so he might have seen this as an opportunity to get up in the English ranks, you know, and, and to take Yeah, yeah, to, to get be, himself to be, into get into bed with the enemy. Yeah, exactly. Because once she learned about his plot to overthrow her or his plot to betray her, she sent she went with her men down to his castle. And she killed four or five of his men and she burned all of his ships to the ground. So, yeah, I think that was the uh, that was the end of that anyway, his his attempt to, to overthrow her. But at the same time... Well, when he was dead, no, that was the end of... No, she didn't kill him. Oh, she didn't kill him? No, no, she just kind of burnt his fleet and killed a couple of his men. Oh, okay. So oh, I just, just assumed, light... yeah, I just assumed she she killed him, but... It was a, it was a light scald, scalding, scolding. It was a light scalding. Over the next few years, Grania found it more and more difficult to, to face off against Bingham. He had a virtually endless supply of Englishmen that could come in and they could raid and they could basically stop or block Grania from committing any of her pillaging or any of her pirate, pirating needs. 
it got things got so bad that eventually a British fleet had completely surrounded Clue Bay and there was no chance for any of their activities to continue. And then eventually they were even forced off their own land and they were forced to live in their ships. Yeah, she was 56 at this stage. So she she lived a very active, busy life at this stage. She she had a lot going on. Her son was betraying her. She husband's killed. So, yeah, I say she was getting tired at this time at this stage. Things took a turn for the worst when Bigham kidnapped her eldest son and he was facing execution in prison. Yeah, so the, the eldest son was fighting against the British. So the British were encroaching in on Grania's uh, clan and her lands. So her sons were fighting against the English in rebellions across their land. And that's how they got captured. So Grania, with nowhere else to turn to, she wrote a letter pleading with the Queen of England to for cle- clemency for her son and also appealing to actually talk to the Queen. She was like, I need, we need to talk this out and sort it out. Uh, and amazingly, the Queen replied and said, yes, I will see you in court. And not in the way it says now in court back then. It was like, we'd sit and have a cup of tea. It's not like I'm suing you. So yeah, Grania rode across. She rode out of Ireland across the Irish Sea and she sailed up the Thames to Greenwich where the queen would spend her summers. And this, this would have been really big news. This would have been like an Irish pirate queen is sailing up the, you know, the center of London. She would say, be sailing by the bodies of other pirates who would be hung along the river to warn other pirates not to do it. So it's just, it's such a really crazy movie moment to imagine this actually happening and everyone watching her from the side going, oh my God, there she is. So it didn't happen as quickly as you'd think. She ended up spending about a couple of months there waiting for the queen to approve her chance to see her the day came when she got to go and meet the queen of england queen elizabeth the first have you like read into like some of the the theories and things that are said about what happened when they met i know she refused to bow to her because she didn't recognize her as her queen but that that's about all i saw so one of the things that i always remember from this, this story when she met queen elizabeth was that she like sneezed blew her nose into a handkerchief and then threw the handkerchief into the fire and like the whole room was like freaking out because apparently this was really rude. But O'Malley was saying like, oh no, this is grand. Like this is what we do. This is proper treatment. That's how you get rid of a dirty handkerchief. Oh, it would have been a very lace handmade. Like, yeah. Hours and hours of work. To and make and this, this the other kind of one is that and now this is where kind of is disputed, but like the fact that they spoke Latin to each other, right? Hmm. Um, do you reckon, is that true or not? No, I, I absolutely think not. I think English all the way. There was records of her speaking English in the past. They wouldn't. It's it's too fancy sounding, like too. I don't know. Yeah, she's she's an educated woman. She would have been traveling across Europe, so she probably would have spoke French. I think there's accounts of her speaking uh, Spanish as well. Obviously, Irish was her, uh, her her native tongue, but yeah, I'd say she spoke English as well as Latin. So mm. that's a common enough one in Irish kind of myth story. Like do you know about Hugh Rue O'Donnell from Ulster. When he was captured, apparently, like, he spoke in Latin to prove that he was educated and not, like, a savage of the wild kind of thing. But again, not sure it happened. There's another one of the the fantastical parts of the story of her meeting the Queen was that when she was searched, they found a dagger hidden within her clothes. And initially, they were not particularly happy about that. But she she explained she always carries a dagger. It's for protection. And the Queen was like, okay, that's fine. So I think now we kind of get into the parts where there is a record. I don't know, is it from letters from the Queen? But the two ended up actually, from what it sounds like, they, they had a very engaging conversation. And I guess when you think about it, like two women in their mid-60s who've lived drastically different life. Like, you know, the life that Grania Whale has lived 
for this queen, it must have, must have sound, sounded like something out of a fantasy novel. So I'm sure, well, I'm assuming they, they had a really engaging conversation because the queen didn't accept a lot of her requests, but the queen was very good to her at the same time. The queen agreed that Bingham will back off. The queen said, we will leave you to enjoy your days, your final days in peace. They kind of something like enjoy your retirement in peace if you promised no longer engage in piracy. So she agreed to that. And then they also released her son. There was this claim that she said something like she will work for the crown, but it's just kind of the way it was phrased. It wasn't along those lines. She, it was kind of just like, enjoy your retirement in peace. Basically. Yeah, sorry. I also heard that the queen offered her the title of princess, which she obviously didn't accept because it would have had too many connotations with an English title. So, I, Jeez, I, wonder, and she, I wonder if any of this stuff is true. Yeah, and she also saw herself <laughs> as a queen, so she didn't need to be a princess. <laughs> That's another reason. Yeah, yeah. She was a self-professed pirate queen. It was interesting, though, what the queen did with Bingham, though. So Bingham made himself the ruler of Connacht, but the queen went over his head and said, none of that for you now. You're not that. That's not your title anymore. Bingham actually was really enraged by this, like how Grania had sent a letter to the queen portraying herself as the victim. And there's actually still letters that we can put in the show notes of Bingham angrily, angrily refuting this in letters to the queen, saying, you know, this is not, she was plundered. She did this for fun. She wasn't desperate. But... um. Yeah, so that, so then he actually continued to antagonize her. Grania was given her patch of land, a very small patch of land, and the queen actually said, those taxes you're taking off Irish landowners, I want you to give a portion of that to Grania as her pension for the rest of her life. So obviously Bingham was just, all of this, like this was his mortal enemy and he was just being told that he has to now start paying her. So he wasn't best pleased and he continued to be a bit of a kind of uh, antagonist and eventually the queen actually recalled him and arrested him. So I guess it must be because you were saying, Dara, because he was announcing himself as the leader of Connacht. I, I missed that. Mm. Yeah, I you know. I was reading that. Yeah, he's kind of the president or whatever, whatever way you'd put it. But yeah, the president of Connacht. Um, but the Queen also made her son the MacWilliam of Uchter, is it? So they resided in the uh, Westport House in Mayo. Um, so that was theirs until 2000. And- 13 I think it was and, and they only it was it was still within the family and they recently sold it and now there's it's open to the public the gardens are there but there are amusements for people to do so there's a there's a crazy golf and there's a swan boats and stuff like that and then most of them are uh, pirate themed so obviously based on Grace or Grania sorry. that's mad because I was there recently and I saw all the pirate stuff and I didn't know the history of it i was just like they seem to like a lot of pirate stuff here i think i didn't realize yeah there's also a, a statue leg- over there as well yeah that's that oh yeah there's not that's that's a better legacy than like mini golf <laughs> <laughs> i'd rather have a mini golf than course a than a statue yeah i think it's crazy golf let's be honest that's even better crazy, oh yeah crazy grony golf <laughs> whale golf uh, so just since you're talking about things being passed down through families uh have you heard about her at hoth castle nope so this would have been like her in her prime. Uh, she was kind of marauding around on the East Coast this time. So she was around Dublin, around the north of Dublin. And she called into Hoth Castle because uh, she was kind of looking for supplies and looking to like restock her crew to make her journey home. And the Lord uh, and his family were eating. So the guards at the gate of Hoth were like, no, nah, sorry, you can't come in. She's, she's uh, the Lord's eaten. And she got so angry. She took uh, the Lord's son, I think, hostage. Uh, and said, oh, I'll give him back, but from now on, you have to have a place set for me at the dinner table, regardless of what time I come. Like, I just want every meal set me a place, because I might show up. Wow. Uh, and the Hooth Castle still does that today. 
so oh. you can go there and they still have like the place set it's so kind of cool go. isn't it yeah i like it I d- again don't know if it's true or not but they're like yeah it's a fun tradition so you can i wonder if out. a descendant of our family can come in and be like where's my meal that'd be great anyone that called o'malley just rocking up be pretty convenient there to be honest <laughs> just to train out to host yeah free perpetual food and hope hmm. so back to grace it's believed that she died of natural causes at the age of 73 in 1603 but again no one quite knows exactly if this is correct or not and they also don't know where she's buried though it's believed she's buried in the church in clare island um in there's a special unmarked tomb in the middle of the church and they actually think it's her she was that prominent uh, which would be so cool to dig up and find, but I know that you don't dig up tombs, or well, they should. Mm. When is when do archaeologists like start digging stuff up? Um, I don't know. Actually, have you been to Clare Island? No, I'd love to go. It's really, really cool. So, like, she's there's a big castle there that's still like um, growing at Grace O'Malley's castle there, and you can it's, go in like it's still it. standing, and you can climb up it and stuff. Can't yeah, you? yeah. Man. It's a proper like Norman looking castle. Like, it's and it's huge. probably probably not no fences or anything. It's probably in a field with sheep or something. Or is it an actual it's, tourist attraction? It's right on the harbor. So like when you come in, you get the the boat out from uh, the coast of Mayo, and it's about twenty minutes out in the ferry. That's very uh, cool. And it's a great. I highly recommend going there. It's cool. There's a castle. There's loads of hiking and stuff as well. So that's the end of Grania Whale. Or rather, it would have been had the Irish historians had anything to do with it. Because weirdly enough, a couple of years later, a book was written like um, called the, Anno- the Annals of the Four Masters, which is a seminal source of Irish history, um, just detailing everything that happened around this, this age and before this age. And it was written in the area where she operated, yet there was not one word spoken about her. She was left out of the history books because it was believed at the time that she had overstepped the boundaries of womanhood. So they completely eradicated her from history. And imagine, we would have had none of this. We would have had a couple of legends and that's it. But what do you think saved her? What do you think say, it was the saving grace? The saving grace O'Malley. Hey, that one stays in. <laughs> For anyone listening, we put out a lot of his shit. That one stays in. <laughs> okay, well, no guests there. It was her correspondence with the Queen and Bingham and the Queen talking about her. So and they kept meticulous records. So you can actually see. I don't know. There must be museums in in England. I, I doubt they're in Ireland at the moment. But you can actually see the letter that Grania wrote to the Queen, uh, hoping for clemency. So it's just a really cool thing that, weirdly enough, her enemy was the reason that she was like carried on in history, in factual history, and not just in this epic legend. But she also was. She was an epic legend. Let's face it. She was an amazing woman. But um, yeah. And I guess that's the end of Grania Whale, folks. I, I thought I must say, like actually Googling and finding the letter, I thought was the coolest thing ever. Couldn't read a word of the letter. Like, my God, her writing was very nice and neat, but it just looks like nothing. I couldn't understand what she was saying. Well, she was writing on the ship, so it's just kind of up and down. <laughs> and that one's cut out. <laughs> any, poor Connor, you can't make any joke because we'll just say that's good. That is good. <laughs> We're like X factoring. Um, yeah, so, okay, I know it wasn't exactly out of Ireland, guys, but I think Grania, ha- she has a story that just needed to be told. I think that's the way to put it. So that's the end of the story of Grania Whale. I hope you enjoyed listening and learning about her. I know we enjoyed talking about her and learning about her, and come back next week when we will be discussing another famous Irish export. <laughs>